Welcome to the newest Eden Center podcast, Building Ourselves Through Parsha. Our host, Karen Miller-Jackson, will use the Parsha to explore an aspect of social, emotional, or physical well-being relevant for 21st century life and its challenges. Karen is a certified Matan Moralalacha, Jewish educator, writer, founder of Kivun Sherut, a guidance program for religious girls, and creator of Power Parsha. Consistent with the Eden Center's goal of enhancing women's spiritual life through Torah and Mikvah, Karen's insights, we hope, will serve as a springboard for self-introspection and discussion. This week's Dvar Torah really goes to the heart of this podcast, Building Ourselves. We'll explore the meaning of the phrase Lech Lecha and how it relates to caring for ourselves, and we'll hear an inspiring interview with my friend and yoga teacher, Cher Mandelbaum. Avraham is the ultimate model of chesed, of doing for others, of loving kindness. For this reason, it is surprising to read Rashi's commentary on the opening words of Parshat Lech Lecha. Rashi, noting the kefalashon, the double language, interprets the words Lech Lecha as go for yourself. Going on this journey to an unspecified destination was for Avraham's own benefit, Lahana Atcha Uletovatcha. By going forth and having faith in Hashem, Avraham will be rewarded, says Rashi, with becoming a father, not only of his own children, but also of a great nation. How unusual to find this emphasis on Avraham going on this journey for personal benefit. Rashi is not alone in this interpretation. In the mystical work, the Zohar, it states, and this is a Hebrew translation from the Aramaic, Lech lecha le'atzmecha, ladat ve'letaken atzmecha, lech lecha, unto yourself, to know and to fix yourself. One of my former teachers, Rabbi Yaakov Nagen, takes this image of the journey which Avraham is about to embark on and relates it to this idea. He writes that the double language of lech lecha, go unto yourself, teaches that the journey is a journey inward. And through this process, a person comes to next week's Parsha, Vayera. Vayera elav Hashem, the revelation of God, enlightenment. The Nitziv in his commentary, Ha'emek Davar, explains Rashi's comment as follows. He says that when the Torah uses the language for you, it usually means one is in a state of solitude. It also highlights personal autonomy and individuality. He relates this to other times the Torah uses the language for you. One of those times particularly appropriate for our Eden podcast, is when the Torah states that a woman should count for herself seven clean days after she menstruates. Visafra la. The Talmudic rabbis understood this to mean that she has a certain amount of autonomy and empowerment of ne'emanut in her observance of hilchot nida. So too, Lacha teaches that Avraham was alone in his thoughts, developing his sense of self and his emunah in Hashem. His journey to himself was an opportunity to strengthen and build himself up to empower himself. The idea that we should take time to check in with ourselves, to rejuvenate ourselves, and to affirm our personal potential is also found in the tefillah with which we start our day, modeh ani. Modeh ani, literally, thankful am I. Rav Kook, in his commentary on the Sidur, Olat Raya, explains that each morning when we wake up and we're awestruck by the vastness of the infinite universe, we might feel small and insignificant. By emphasizing the I, the Ani, and drawing on the inner strength and gratitude to God within ourselves, 
The individual self, writes Rev. Cook, remains undaunted. The I finds divine confirmation and validation. Here too, in Parshat Lech Lecha, God commands Avraham, according to Rashi's interpretation, to go to himself before going to others. The Nitziv adds that Avraham was not completely alone since along the way he shared his beliefs and greatly influenced others. Perhaps the key to Avraham's ability to inspire the world was that he took the time to strengthen and develop himself and then gave of himself to others. If any of you are like the many women I know, then you also likely struggle with the pressures of being Wonder Woman. A good daughter, mother, wife, friend, trying to balance work and family while also volunteering in your communities. Not to mention trying to find a moment for ourselves, time to exercise, to read, to have hobbies, or to make that doctor's appointment. On this note, Lech Lecha, the imperative to go to yourself, coincides this week with the end of October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, reminding us to take that time to care for ourselves so that we can continue to care for others. One of the ways I personally go to myself is through exercise. I am excited to share the following interview with Cher Mandelbaum about the beauty of yoga and how it is an appropriate expression of Lech Lecha. Go to yourself, strengthen yourself so that you can be there for others. Shabbat Shalom. This week's podcast is sponsored by the Eden Center, which works to improve the life of Jewish women and families. Do you know someone who would make a good chatan teacher? A husband, brother, friend who you think would like to help others begin their married life on the right foot? Encourage them to join our upcoming chatan teacher training course starting this coming Sunday, October 25th. Details at theedencenter.com backslash chatan, H-A-T-A-N. Cher Mandelbaum is a mother of four and grandmother of three who made Aliyah with her family 11 years ago from Cleveland, Ohio. She began teaching yoga over 10 years ago. She has taught adults, teens, children, and also private classes. She is passionate about yoga and what it does for the body, mind, and soul. Before becoming certified as a yoga instructor, Cher was a speech-language pathologist and communication specialist. She likes to share her fascination of language, anatomy, and communication with her love for the practice of yoga. So welcome, Cher. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's podcast. My pleasure. Nice to be talking to you, Karen. So my Torah this week for Parshat Lech Lecha talked about Avraham taking time for self-discovery and to strengthen and build himself before becoming a shaliach in the world. I see some parallels between this and yoga. I have to just share that, uh, Cher, you are the one who introduced yoga to my life um, at a particular, at a stage of life where I was very busy, a lot of young children, and coming to yoga class, it was like an island of calm in a very busy, hectic day, and so it's very exciting to be doing this with you. So, Thank you. Uh, so I'll be glad guessing. to have been the one who introduced you to it. Very much so. And I still love coming to your yoga classes. So um, what drew you to yoga in the beginning? And how would you describe what yoga does for you? So it's interesting. I've been doing yoga for, I guess it's 15 years now, something like that. And actually, I was only drawn to it by accident. It's 
it's a very non-spiritual story. I was working out at the local Jewish community center in Cleveland and uh, in my pre-Aliyah days. And I usually would go spinning and spinning was canceled. And yoga was not the, wasn't quite yet the in thing. It was more of the, you know, those people who carried those funny looking mats with them. <laughs> um, and then I almost was like, I'm going to go home because I'm a routine person. But instead I was like, well, there's a thing happening at the same time. You know, fine. I'm already in my exercise clothes. Why not? You know, why not do something that's like, it'll just be a little bit of stretching. And I was really blown away. Actually, the first time I was really like blown away. And I was like, I need to do this. Um, I didn't right away get, I, I was drawn right away to the physical practice initially. And, uh, but what it has done for me and beyond that, it completely started as physical. But what I loved about it is that yoga involves the entire body, head to toe. Um, I say it and I mean it. it. There is no part of your body that is not engaged when you are focusing on it. It quiets my mind. Um, it really, it allows me, but I also want to say it forces me to be present. So I can't be thinking about what was and I can't be worried about what's going to be because I'm very focused on what is very tangible. The mat, maybe thoughts in my head that are just being observed and I feel awake in the body. Um, it's like a, this balance of effort and ease. That's what it is for me. Wow. So it became more than just a one-time accidental class and more than just stretching. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, it took a while. It was a journey till it became more than that. Mm-hmm. But it slowly had this like impact on me. A journey like Leslaha. Very appropriate. That's like, seriously. <laughs> yes, completely. This is one of the partiotes. Definitely. So um, during class, during your classes, you've often talked about the mat and what the mat symbolizes. And it's been a sort of metaphor for that we should be present and, you know, don't bring all of our troubles onto the mat, try to leave them off the mat. And I think that that was really interesting. Um, And so especially now where I think people are looking for some quiet, uh, people who have everyone at home, obviously there are people who who unfortunately are um, alone, but when people are needing that quiet, Let's talk about the mat and what that symbolizes in yoga. Yes, the mat. Um, well, I look at the mat as like our Dalit Amot. And as you just said, indeed, especially in this time, but even pre-corona time, we live in a very fast-paced life where we, we cannot find physical space to ourselves um, often enough and we can't find enough space in our head. It's both, it's both. And certainly, yes, this time period of social, <laughs> the irony is we're social distant, we should have all the space we need, but we have less space. And so much more of our head space is taken up. Um, so we go to our mat and we have actual, deli- like it's a delineated space that becomes ours. And it's not a big space, but it is big enough, but you can't bring your baggage on it. That's what I always like to say. There's no room for your baggage. Leave it (laughs) off the mat. There's room for you to be with you. And so that is the metaphor of the mat. And what's so nice is that then you can explore you and delve into you and create space both physically 
and in your head, even though it's a very small space. And so even in classes where you're right next to someone else, your mat is your defined space. And it's, it's creating boundaries. And then you can do that off the mat too. Everything in yoga that you do on the mat, you can do off the mat. Yes, it's so true. It's everything it rings very true for me. I often found it hard when they were when people are so close together sometimes, but you have to adjust. You're in a moment and you have to adjust yourself. And um, and then I don't know, did you ever find that then you forgot that someone was so close to you because you were just on your mat? After sure. a few minutes, you start practicing and then it's like, oh, yeah, we were next to each other the whole time, but I was focused on my breath. I was focused on my posture. For sure, 100%. And so it's so interesting because this is so similar to what um, to what I was talking about in some of the commentaries on Lech Lecha. Um, and so I wonder uh, how much do you see, and also you were talking about the mat as the Dalit Amot. It seems to me that there are some commonalities um, between yoga and Torah values. And, um, and so I'm wondering how do you see that often and, and how do you see that expressing itself? Maybe some examples of uh, how you see Torah and yoga connecting. Well, I'll start with what you referred to. I don't know. Um, I don't want to reiterate. I, hopefully I won't be saying exactly what, what you said, but certainly Lach Lecha is a very good example in that part of Lach Lecha Me'artzcha This going in is such a beautiful, beautiful commandment. Um, It always has resonated with me. And I think that the further, the phrases that go on in that Pasuk just continue to say, go out of your comfort zone go into yourself and we're not always comfortable with ourselves. So that's the first step. How often do we go into ourselves and we're already have discomfort, but it asks you more than that. Can you go out of your comfort zone? Can you be in a pose? For example, if I'm going to speak yoga speak and move out of the land you're used to and what you're, you were nurtured into and your nature and be there and then find, um, well, at the end of the Pasuk, it says, and can you find, can you make it a blessing unto others? So, you know, you can take what you want with that with blessing. Beyond that, I always think about that um, the more we learn Torah, especially as adults, we see that it's a narrative and it's filled with stories. And in those stories, we see a lot of imperfection of humanity, a lot of imperfection of figures that we admire. And we're taught to ask ourselves, what is, what is, what's the lesson? What are we supposed to take from this? So what I love is that there is so much imperfection and yet people were great, but we're not meant to be perfect. And so I always see that on the mat too. We, again, the world we live in, especially with, um, I think you talked a lot about it on your other podcast maybe uh, last week, this world of social media, which we're now, we're grateful for in this period of time, but it is present. There is a sense of needing to be perfect. We want to be perfect mothers. We want to get through this period in a perfect way. We want to be perfect wives. We want to be perfect friends. We want to be perfect, but there is no such thing. So can we be perfect in our imperfections? And I think that's a lesson that I see throughout the Torah with all of the figures throughout Tanakh in general. And I like it for a lesson on the mat. So when you say, I want to be perfect in this pose, there is no perfect pose. 
there's what feels good for you in your body and it won't be the same from day to day. And we'll have days where we'll be like, this wasn't so easy today. Another day was today felt a little better. And that's, that's sort of some of the messages I've taken that make me feel that that relates to Torah. Totally. I think that's incredible. And um, even I remember, you know, the feeling of trying a pose. There were certain things that came easily and certain things that were really difficult. And then when you work towards something and work towards something, and then you're finally able to do it um, slowly and safely, um, it's, an, it's, it's a great feeling, but it takes itself. It's happening there in the yoga class, but you bring it into so much of your life. And this is certainly true for um, stretching our minds, stretching our bodies, um, people who okay, it expresses itself in all sorts of ways. And so I think that that's, that's a really, that message really resonates with me. Um, and can you be okay with when you want to get a pose and it doesn't feel right in the lower back, in the neck, and you could say, well, this person's doing it, but it's not competitive. And you say, but it's not right for me. Can I be okay with the fact that this one is not right for me? It's not true to who I am. And that too is a lesson. It's humbling. Yes. Yes, 100%. Wow. So, um, so appropriately for my, for my closing question, um, when we finish yoga class, we do Shavasana. And um, I'd like to talk about Shavasana. Can you, can you first of all explain to our listeners, because maybe not everyone does yoga, um, what Shavasana is? And um, especially, as we've mentioned, given how frenetic life is now, um, certainly if you have, you know, managing people on Zoom and um, if you have lots of people at home and whatever it is, even if it's just the fear and the anxieties of the time, um, I think that uh, Shavasana probably has a message for all of us in this, in this time. It does indeed. I like to say, I truly believe that Shavasana is the hardest pose in yoga. For me, it's the hardest pose because it, I think it means corpse pose, actually. (laughs) It's it's where after you've done your 20 minutes, 30 minutes, hour, 75 minutes, whatever it is of practice, of physical practice and breath practice, where you completely surrender. It's complete surrender. And you ease into it but you're tired. So you are, you've gotten out a lot of energy and you're on your backs and you sort of just release everything. And even when you think you've released, you actually haven't, you sort of begin to focus on different parts of the body. Have you really just let everything just sink into the earth or onto the, onto the mat at that moment? Um, I, if I can make one more connection that is interesting for me is that Rav Salvechik discusses Adam 1 and Adam 2. So all of the practice of yoga, we like to be creators and controllers. And so that's Adam 1 and that's our practice and we do our best. And then Adam 2 is, is Shavasana. It's surrendering. After all that is done, you just say, my practice is, and now here I am. And I completely surrender. And then you just close your eyes. You breathe slower and more regular. And the reason I say it's the hardest is because it's very tempting to skip it, especially if you think you have to be somewhere after yoga and you're like, well, yes. I have time for everything, but I'm just going to leave it. Shavasana, it's fine. I don't really need Shavasana. <laughs> but it is really the most important. It's like I had a teacher who once said, you've done everything to bake the cake and then you just don't put it in the oven. Mm. So it's, you can taste the batter, but you haven't baked the cake. So it's wow. the time to bake. Wow. 
That's really beautiful. It's funny because even the, um, the, the likening it to corpse pose at first sounded a little shocking to me, but, um, but thinking about the idea that we, when we sleep every night, the Gemara says that it's like one sleep is one sixtieth of death. And mm-hmm. when you wake up in the morning, the first thing we do is we say, Moda Ani. We suddenly wake up with this new feeling. We're new creations, a new feeling of gratitude. And so there's an interesting parallel there between uh, sort of Shavasana, just taking that moment to let it all soak in and, and then being able to go out and face the world with a little more positivity and strength. So yes, completely. So, wow. Thank you so much, Shara. This has been really uplifting. And, um, and I really thank you for all of your amazing yoga teaching and um, wishing everyone a Shabbat Shalom. Thanks very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center, whose goal is to reinvigorate the ancient female ritual of mikvah as a sacred space for women and use it as the natural platform it is to connect to Jewish women's health, well-being, and healthy relationships, enhancing Jewish women and family life. We invite you to visit our website, www.theedencenter.com, to learn more about our work in making mikvah relevant, welcoming, and meaningful. This episode is recorded by Karen Miller-Jackson, edited by Megha Shore, and is a product of the Eden Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sponsoring a podcast in dollars or shekels at bit.ly backslash E-D-E-N-P-O-D. Additionally, give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe. We welcome your feedback by email at podcasts at theedencenter.com.